welcome to another episode of Living the Beam, a bi-weekly Sacramento Kings podcast presented by the Kings Herald. I'm your host, Greg Wissinger, and here along with Jill Adge and TJ Macias, how are the two of you doing this evening? Good now that the game's over and we won. <laughs> yes, it's scary we were... for, for a quarter, but you know, at least the last three, they they found themselves. <laughs> Yeah, we, we should mention we're recording this immediately after the win over the Detroit Pistons on Tuesday. So uh, we, we've got some instant reactions. But uh, TJ, how are you doing this evening? Fine, now that my drink is full. It's worth noting, we were talking during the game and the Kings were terrible until TJ and I both made drinks. So exactly. that is the key to success we've decided. <laughs> so if anyone has a healthy liver for either of us and you need our blood types, just feel free to to, you know, DMS. Yeah. I actually uh, did start at the beginning of the second quarter. So I, see? I agree. <laughs> it was, it, all of us as a like, trio helped the Kings, you know, along tonight. And I'm sure there were many Kings fans that picked up a bottle of something at that point. So collectively we all, you know, we, we gave the, the power to, you know, whatever. Like that beam commercial where it like sucks the purple, <laughs> it sucked the drinks, and there you go. We fueled it. My thing was all we were all like Captain Planet and like just fucking <laughs> put our rings together as a as fans and you know summoned what decent shots. I don't know. Everyone started taking shots, and then the Kings started making shots. It, it works out perfect. And Detroit went back down to their average of not making seven of 10. So, yeah. So, I mean, let's kind of start there with the the Pistons game, because obviously the, the Kings started off atrocious, right? They they started off giving up 47 points in the first quarter to the Detroit Pistons, who didn't even have Cade Cunningham. He was out with a, a tweaked knee. So, Truly an embarrassing moment. And following the Pelicans game, I, I know that there was a lot of panic on King's Twitter and, you know, in, in our Slack and all of that, that, you know, oh, my God, are the Kings just completely broken at this point? So for me, anyway, I was encouraged that they then kind of turned it around, kind of found their footing, you know, actually played basketball for the remaining three quarters and, and really, you know, held the Pistons to not scoring a lot. You know, we can debate how much of that was defense, how much of that was just the Pistons regressing. But, you know, just kind of in general, I mean, this has been a little bit of a theme that we've seen with the Kings starting slow and struggling to get out. So, Joe, what do you think about kind of what tonight tells us about the Kings? Well, they were lucky they were playing Detroit. I mean, you know, it because if you were playing a team like the Pelicans, like you were the other night, they run you out of the gym. I mean, and so, yes, these guys, you know, stepped up to an extent extent you know they became themselves again but again like i'm also looking at they did what they were supposed to do against detroit but if they were playing an upper echelon team i don't know if the result would have been the same based on the theme that we've seen you know in the last couple weeks and so um i'm happy they got the win hopefully they feel good but like you can't keep doing this it's because against the better teams, most likely you're not going to come back. Like it's, um, they're too good. So, but then again, I mean, the NBA, like it's, you see 20 point leads evaporate in minutes all the time now. So, and I, yeah. and I will say they've been playing better lately in the last, I think they said in the last week or week and a half, all their losses, I 
prior to tonight had been single digits. So, I mean, they had been keeping games somewhat close. So, um, and I'll say like to Bibby's point at the end too, those young guys, like it's whether it's, they're not good enough. They haven't figured out how to close games, like how to keep it consistent. Like it's just all over, you know, and they had injuries and, and everywhere else, but I will say Fox kind of, went back to being Fox a little bit right towards the end. Keegan had, you know, a great game tonight of 13 to 17 Domas, you know, was his normal self. And um, I do think there was probably a little bit of him. If anyone gave him any kind of locker room material that uh, last year, it was Duran that said that he thought Sabonis was easy to guard. And so, um, that's why you might've seen some of the yells after dunks and, you know, just him, he's been playing on this level, but I think even it's, you know, when a guy says that about you, it's let alone a young guy, um, you bring a little bit extra and he seemed to kind of have that tonight. Lyles, it was awesome having him back. Love seeing him at 31 minutes as well. Um, let's keep that going. Monk. Um, let's see. He was. 28 minutes, right? Oh, close to that 30. So um, I think that was because of the fouls, though. He had five fouls, so you kind of had to play that a different way. Otherwise, I think his would have been over, you know, the 30 mark as well. Kevin played 29. His shot wasn't there, but five rebounds, five assists, played some good defense. I'll take that when the other guys are putting up those numbers. Like, that's what you want right around you. Barnes, I was actually surprised Herder only had again. four. It felt like he had played better yeah. than a four-point game. <laughs> like he was, yeah. he was um, contributing in a lot of good ways. It was good to see. That totally agree. And I was like, he was a plus sixteen, right? Like he was two for eleven and still ended up as a plus sixteen. So it should, you know, he he produced everywhere else. Um, yeah, I mean Barnes again. Like I'm just happy that he stuck with Lyles, right? Barnes started whatever. Um, he stuck with Lyles. That's what I want to see. The only way that I'm kind of like, what the heck is he seems to, to do that with Barnes at different times. So too, he doesn't not start him, but he'll play like 10 minutes. Like this is the first time that's happened. Like where he will, if he's not there, he will just flat out sit him. If someone else is bringing it at some point, I don't know. We haven't seen Lyles to me healthy long enough to maybe, um, Maybe that's why a change hasn't warranted. I'm just trying to grasp at straws here. I have no idea why. Um, but regardless of who's starting or whatever, I just want to see more minutes total from the Fox, Monk, uh, Keegan, Trey, Domas lineup. Like that's that's the lineup I want to see play the most minutes, at least based on how they're playing right now. Um, so regardless of anything else, just get that line up more minutes and it seems to be successful. So yeah, I mean, they got the win. They play again tomorrow. So against Charlotte team that's without a lot of people again. So are you going to take advantage of it this time? Oh, geez. Back um, to back Charlotte. Oh, you know, there's but, so many good things. But there. with how close the West is, like these are the games you need to shore up yeah. from yourself. If you want to kind of get any, start building that distance or traction. TJ, what about you? Any big takeaways from the game? I want to know, I mean, Jill and I, or Jill and our group was discussing this yesterday, or actually it was a couple days ago, um, 
what the fuck is going on in their heads, you know, going into the games. It's it, it seems almost like a mental thing uh, with the players going into these games and these, you know, the one the teams that are not good. Like, how is this happening? And like, do they need? Is is there something going on in the locker room? Um, is there something going on with Brown's coaching in this sense and what he's doing? Um, but it just, these, for as good as we have been and, you know, in the past year and everything that Brown has done, it's killing me. The fact that our, is there not like locker room, uh, leadership going on at this point, um, they just seem almost dazed in the beginning of the games. And I I can't figure it out for the life of me what is going on in their heads, like mentally. And of course, you know, I'm not in locker room. Um, I'm not, you know, seeing like the chemistry in there, what's going on. But it, it doesn't seem like they can get a hold on things until, you know, later on, like in the second or third quarter. To your point of like the days thing where we're all waiting for the next move. To me, it almost feels like they know it, like they're playing out there, but they're also waiting for the next, you know, step or shoe to drop or, you know, like whatever. And I mean, I know it's easy for us to say, you know, because I say it all the time, like you're pros, you know, you got to play, you got to figure it out. You got a way to play through it. But Granted, they are human, but it almost feels like where it's like they're waiting for the same thing that they're waiting for. And it's just that constant. When is it going to happen? Yeah. And I've like I felt that sometimes before when I was covering the Mavs, but this feels different to me. And watching them on the court, it becomes more apparent. And like I. I can't figure it out. And it's like, it, they can't figure it out either, it seems. And it freaks well, it's like me. Barnes is already on his next stop. <laughs> exactly. Greg, what are your thoughts? So I do think it's interesting that they consistently are having the same issues. Like, that's the big thing that stands out to me. Slow starts, sloppy play, sloppy turnovers, you know, kind of a a lack of that fire, you know, not coming out ready to play and execute it. It, You know, the Kings, with the exception of the Pelicans, uh, do a good job of getting up for big opponents. You know, they have a really good record against the top teams in the NBA overall, but they really struggle to come out firing on all cylinders against these lesser teams. I mean, the the Charlotte loss, yeah, I don't want to just dwell on it endlessly, but that was just such an embarrassment. And I don't know how the Kings fix it without it coming from inside. Like Mike Brown can only yell so much. Like at a certain point, the the players do have to come out and show some pride and some execution and not wait till they give up 47 in the first quarter to decide to start playing defense and trying hard and making crisp passes yeah and i will say even it like that what was it the third time they played the pelicans where they were the ones that pushed first 31 i think 31 17 32 17 and then it was 41 to 37 like it was 
there are times even when they punch and then it's like someone comes back at them and then they falter. Like it's it's this weird thing that I don't even want to diminish like what they're doing where they have been faltering recently. But there are times, too, when they come out hot and then someone punches them back, they fall. It's like this weird thing. As soon as they get their punch, a lot of times they falter if it's against a better opponent. Um there was a couple weeks ago. Who did they start hot with? It, it was another not good team. Um, and they were up early. And I think I was, was I watching it in Colorado? I'm trying to remember. And they were up early. And then the other team just came back and then never stopped. Like the Kings started hot. And then. Was that the Portland yeah. game? Maybe. I want to see. I can't can't remember, honestly. (laughs) How many times times have they played Charlotte? Uh, Just the one so far. Okay, so was it... Was it that one, maybe? That they were up pretty good in the the first couple minutes and then Charlotte just ran away after that? I don't know. There was one where it was just like they had a good lead. Um, It was like... 20 some 24 to 8 or something like that and then it was just built like the other team just came and did not stop and then it was like the kings didn't recover so they just have this weird thing this year i don't know what it is that it's i mean tonight they push back like great but like also let's stop getting in holes where we have to like push back. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's a game of runs, but it's like, can you keep it somewhat? That to me was one of the big takeaways from this game was that they've had a habit of when they get down big, they they seem to just kind of fold, right? And they didn't do it this time. And some of that, of course, is that it's the Pistons. Like the Pistons are truly a terrible, terrible team this year. Um, you know, and and that helps. And to your point, like if they were playing a better team, I don't know that they could have come back the way they did. But they didn't roll over in this game. It seemed like they went back and started executing on some of the things that had been really successful last year and even at the beginning of this season and that they've kind of gone away from. You know, the dribble handoffs, the pick and roll with Monk and Sabonis. You know, we kind of saw a few of the greatest hits and shockingly it worked really well. (laughs) They weren't just chucking the threes. They actually continued, right, the DHO to the basket. Like it was, they were taking advantage of, you know, which was nice. And then there was even a part where I want to say in the third, might have been the third, where it was like, go back to that. Like you, you went away from it, go back to it. And then in that, it was, it was the end of the third. And then everybody came back in in the fourth and it was like, boom, they started going inside again and and finished it but that was nice to see because yes to your point like there are times this year where it's they get down and they just start chucking like they did not do that this time and i appreciated that um they kept it smart right and got good shots took it to the basket um keegan got hot domas but um yeah that that was a pleasant surprise now i Kind of along those lines, you know, you kind of mentioned the third quarter and and even some of the extended minutes in the first was another thing that's been a little bit of a trend this season. Uh, not just the lack of production outside of kind of the the core four guys, which you know, worth noting, Sabonis, Fox, Murray, and Monk combined for 115 of the Kings' 131 points tonight. Uh, the bench. 
you know, didn't take a lot of shots overall outside of Herter, but, and they got some production, but they also had some guys that were really notable negatives and, and kind of zeros. Like suddenly Juan Toscano Anderson, who was officially signed to his 10 day contract less than an hour before tip off and was playing first quarter minutes for this team. And we've seen Mike Brown make a lot of changes throughout the season to not necessarily the starting lineup so much. He's pretty stubborn with that, but he even did make a change there. You know, he had Chris Duarte in there for a few games and now Duarte is a DNP coach's decision. He's kind of throwing a lot of different looks at the wall, you know, playing Lynn, Benjamin Lynn for JaVale, you know, all these different permutations and it's hard to really see the rhyme or reason behind it. I'm curious, starting with Jill, what do you make of what Mike Brown is doing with the lineups right now? I mean, to me, it's it. I'm seeing someone that's searching, right? Like, because he's kind of seeing to an extent what we're seeing, where it's just inconsistency. Like, yes, you're you might be getting the win results, but there have been a lot of games where it's you don't know who's going to show up from game to game outside of maybe three players, right? Like normally it's Fox, Monk, and Sabonis, and then who's going to show up outside of that? So. To an extent, I kind of get it, but I'm also like, I'd rather see Sasha or Duarte over Juan Toscano-Anderson. And so I also don't know if there's something between him and Monty where it's like he's proving a point to Monty. Like, okay, this is what you're giving me. Like, and it's it's still not, you know, what we need. So, I'm, But I don't know. But we also know that he likes JTA. So, like, I don't... I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, I will say it was nice. He had six rebounds. Like, um, like you know, good for him in that sense. But, I mean, I don't think it was like the, the stopper that, like, he was looking for when he put him in. Like, it, it didn't, to me, it didn't make a difference. And all it got, ended up getting Detroit was in the penalty with, like eight minutes to go in the quarter. And that then worried me like, okay, we're going to put ourselves in even a bigger hole um, because we did this. But I, I'm, I have to imagine there's conversations going on between him and the players. Like from everything I've heard, there's constant communication between the coaching staff and the players. Um, So I don't want to go too far and be like, these guys have to be completely confused in what's going on because I haven't heard that. Um, but I do think to an extent from a player, it's like, what are you supposed to do? Like if you're a Chris Duarte, like you go from being a bench yeah. to starting back to being a bench to do not play. Same with Sasha, right? Like it's just, it's got to be, you know, confusing to a stand. So um, I just hope there's good clarity and like I hope they have a better like idea what's off, going on than we right? do <laughs> no one seems pissed off or you know like you're not seeing anyone there pouting or anything like that. everyone's being a good teammate a good whatever and I will continue to say like from everything I've heard like there's no dysfunction or friction or like they all still believe in the all in like we will do what we have to do to win but um, I will say it's much more inconsistent than last year, but we're also seeing more inconsistency from players this year than we were last year. So I don't know. It's hard. Like it's, um, 
that's where I just hope like there's a whole month until the trade deadline. So it's like at some point, something's going to have to give. Because I don't know how much longer you can keep doing the carousel. Yeah. What do you think, DJ? Yeah, I'm not as articulate as Jill is in this. It just it just seems like he is throwing noodles on the wall to see what see what sticks. And like there there are some big questions that we've had for him that we'll keep we'll continue to have for him at this point. Like with me, it a lot has to do with why does he keep you know, going with Harrison Barnes um, at the start and why, like, Harrison isn't knowing it as, like, witnessing his career over the years, why he isn't going to him and actually asking to sit when he's not doing well. Um, And it just... It seems like he's experimenting. Brown is experimenting and so much stuff isn't working right now. And that that's just what it feels like to me. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting seeing, like I said, it, there's so much uncertainty and so much variation. But it also doesn't feel like a meritocracy. Like, it's not always based on what you're doing. Like, Chris Duarte, I have not been a big fan of the season. He had been playing better the last several games. I don't. Oh, no, we know. We know that you're not. Yeah, like, I'm not. (laughs) But I was still surprised that he got a DNP and Juan Toscano Anderson got 14 minutes. Like, JTA was not playing well. Like, I, and I get that. Mike Brown doesn't want to do like knee jerk where he pulls a guy because he has a bad like three minutes. Like he doesn't tend to do that for the most part. He tends to let guys play and kind of let things play out and give people like a little bit of a leash. But it's like, I don't care if you say that you're not running plays for Harrison Barnes. He's not doing anything for you in the minutes he's there. Why not move him to the second unit and run plays for him? Because I think he's capable of still doing more than what he's doing, just not as a fifth option. Like, make him the second option on the second unit. You know, Monk is the primary, Barnes is the second. You know, Lyles put on a masterclass tonight of how you can be a very productive part of the lineup while not scoring a lot. It's not just about points per game. It's that Harrison Barnes also isn't doing much of the other things. He's not rebounding. He's not as good a defender as he once was. And, you know, I think he could be more effective in a different role. Similarly, we saw Keon Ellis, who had been playing very well as the backup guard, suddenly see himself benched for Davion Mitchell getting the backup minutes. And there's doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason behind it. And, you know, maybe it's trying to highlight for trades or just, like I said, just throwing stuff against the wall to see what does and doesn't work. But it, it doesn't... I trust that Mike Brown has a reason for everything he does. I I think he has earned that faith from Kings fans. Like he obviously is a good coach. He has the locker room. He hasn't lost them or anything like that. It's not an issue there. I trust that he has reasons behind everything he's doing. I just can't figure out what they are. (laughs) Knowing that they were talking to Toronto, I'm still not sold that those couple games were trying to 
knowing that Mitchell was going to be in any conversation, that there could have been something there with that, knowing that they were coming to town and getting in some run before before that happened. I wouldn't be completely shocked. Um, I'll put it that way. So and that's part of that's one of the hard things around this right this time of season is and you're seeing it from a lot of different teams, not just the Kings. Like this isn't just the Kings thing. And so um, but at the end of the day, is it good for your team? And that's where this team has to figure it out one way or the other. And I'm happy they went back to Keon tonight personally. So yeah. I'm still confused about the one one, but in in other terms, I don't know. Maybe something else is going on that we don't know about. Um, in terms of the other players that did not play. Um, but otherwise, yeah, that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So that, that gives us a good opportunity to pivot to kind of some uh, another big story that happened just this past week, which is the all of the chatter and smoke and discussion and rumors and leaks around Pascal Siakam and what did or didn't happen, right? So, you know, the Kings were reportedly the front runner for Pascal Siakam. And then three hours later, the Kings were public or not publicly, but were leaking that they were withdrawing their interest from Pascal Siakam unless Toronto came back. There were leaks about what Toronto had been asking for or whether or not Siakam was going to be happy to sign an extension. You know, and and it's all smokescreen season, right? So there's all leverage plays, there's leaking for leverage, there's, you know, all the games that go on, especially with a month still to go until the deadline. But Jill, what was kind of your main takeaway from that whole whirlwind that we experienced of being front runners and then being completely out on Siakam? Yeah, well, and I honestly, I don't think they're completely out. I think that was even part of a play, too. I do think that they're still in discussions and Toronto knows the Kings, right? Like, it, here's our offer. Go go out and see what you're going to, you know, what else you're going to get. Come back to us, maybe, if you end up having a final offer and we'll come back to you. But otherwise, like, this is, this is, this is our hold. But to me, from everything else I was hearing out, side of the stuff it always makes me laugh the narratives you see online coming from big media and things like that which are completely different from what i'm hearing locally um prior to anything even ever actually getting out so um i always just try and remember like do not during this time do not believe everything you read like there's a reason for everything and so um it, it's not surprising to me if Toronto, who is in need of shooters, said, fine, you're not going to give us Keegan, then the next guy we want is Monk. Like, I, and the whole, like, centered around Harrison Barnes thing, like, he's going to be in it because you need his salary, or it's going to be Kevin because you need his salary. Like, that's just common sense in that because those are your bigger contracts, right? Um, but those aren't necessarily the big name they're going after. Um, and so, but I, I'm happy that Monty said like, no to Monk. And like, to me, that shows his belief or what he sees, right. And we saw it tonight, like that he kind of believes that's that core four, right. Going forward. And so as much as people want to make about starting and all that kind of stuff, like, I think this 
organization has shown like what they do love in terms of, you know, this particular group. And so, you know, I, and Monty's been used in the media before. So I was happy that he was just like, you know, not today. Like you were leaking, trying to pressure us into getting this deal done. And we're not, we're not playing that game today. And so I, you know, I respected him on that level as much as I would like the outcome. Um, I also get, you know, Monty's then pushback, like I'm not just rolling over. So um, it, it, it's going to be interesting. TJ, what did you make of it all? Yeah, I don't listen to it at all. Like, uh, there, there, my heart has been broken way too many times as like basically every NBA fan has during the trade season. And I just remember uh, I was asked, like, who would you give up for him? And I'm like, barely conscious and going herder and moodle. And it's it's I just know it's not like ah, I was not surprised at all uh, three hours later when it just when they said no we're not having you know anything to do with this and it but it was it's funny to see because when Brown puts in certain players that aren't supposed to be showcased, it's what they're doing to showcase for trade value. And <laughs> it's very clear that, you know, they want, like Jill said, they want certain players and we're not giving them up. That's that's just how it goes. And we're going to hopefully stand our ground, you know, when it comes when it comes to Monk and Murray. Um, but every every fan knows, like, really not to get your hopes up in these certain things. Whenever I hear rumors, I, like, take a shot of tequila, throw it at a fireplace, like I'm in a fucking soap opera, and just, like, walk away and wait a couple hours till I get a fucking notification on my phone. Something like toronto is not dealing with this kings have shut down negotiations that kind of bullshit i'm we're all used to this this is what happens i mean i definitely think one of the more telling things is that the kings as an organization don't leak things right like they aren't the ones leaking oh they're chasing this guy they're chasing that guy like we tend to hear about some of that stuff after the fact but or you know when it's almost done and then not quiet or whatever it might be right so uh that's not really the king's mo is to negotiate through the media so to jill's point it was pretty clear that toronto leaked the kings of the front runner to kind of put pressure on the kings like oh now you got to get it done you know and the kings also historically have not used shams they they use woes if they're gonna leak something uh so you know that was clearly a toronto play and then the kings turned around and said no like we're gonna tell shams that we're out and kind of turn that leverage back and you're like no you don't get to use this as a, a leverage ploy like so it's fun watching the game as long as you know that it's the game and then it's the public negotiations and all that but it, it can be frustrating i, I do appreciate that Yet again, we're seeing that 
money is chasing the right types of guys. Like every time we hear about something that has fallen through, it's usually for someone that the Kings could definitely use and the Kings fans would be happy if we had acquired. I appreciate that Monty is disciplined in who he goes after and you know what cost he's willing to play or pay. But it's also a little troubling that we can't get a deal across the line, right? There's been a lot of things that have been speculated or talked about after the fact that we're close. And so at a certain point, it's like, all right, when do you kind of push it across the line? When do you maybe overpay to really push that ceiling up for a year? And I don't know that this year's the right year to do it. You know, it, it might be worth waiting another year and being patient and, and all of that, but it is interesting but at the very least, I like the players that Monty's targeting because Zagam would be an amazing fit, assuming you kept the core four intact. You know, you keep Fox, you keep Keegan, you keep Delmas, and you keep Monk, and then you add Siakam. That's an amazing fit. Uh, if you're losing one of those four, I'm not a, a fan of it. But outside of that, I think it's the right type of player to be targeting. Can you hear me again? Okay, I switched stuff, so I just want to make sure. But no, I I agree, and I also think to the extent that even if it's not the big name, right, that he's not landing, it's even some of the smaller margin moves that you know that he's gone after that specifically with Thibel and Vando, right? Like we heard both that he thought that he had Vando for two seconds before they made the big Laker deal, right? Um, And then they thought they had Thibel up to 30 minutes prior to that deal being completed. Again, I understand it ended up being a three-team trade. Like, sometimes there are things you can't do. But is there something you could have done that would have, like you said, put closed it right then and there? I understand it takes two to tango, and there are times you can't do that. But to me, this year, you at least, lead, you at least need those smaller margin moves, even if you're not going to make the big one, because those margin moves they're still going to be used to make the big one down the line. But can you get a margin move that helps you more right now prior to making, you know, the the big one, if that makes sense? Because I think even a Thibel or a, um, a Finney Smith or a Royce O'Neal, like I still think those guys to me, um, at least the way Harrison's playing right now, I think those it seems that those guys could give you more on the court compared to him. And you can still use those contracts down the line if you needed to to make your move. So at least I would like to see him this year hit those margin moves if you're not going to hit the big one. And I'm okay not hitting the big one if you still show me that you're, you know, moving towards the right things. And can we all agree that it's a big disappointment if this is the roster post-deadline. And especially if they're playing like this. Right. If, it's th- if, if it's they haven't still, turned around in the next still month. The, yeah, the roller coaster of you don't know who's going to show up. Yes, uh, 100%. I think that would be disappointing. All right, yeah. So with that... Are there any other topics, any other thoughts, any kind of closing pieces that we want to cover? You know, it's been a little bit because of the holidays, we had about a month off. So there's definitely a lot of Kings things that have happened. I don't necessarily want to rehash all of the past month, but are there any big things that you feel like we have missed or that you want to make sure we discussed before we go? Uh, let's start with you, TJ. 
I'm surprised we still haven't brought up all the blood on the fucking floor in Detroit. Like, what? <laughs> did, 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 did I miss that when I was... I didn't... I don't know that... I didn't know that Sabonis's finger could bleed that much in, no. like, a span of, like, just... <laughs> so I looked down. What the fuck happened? And all of a sudden, it was, like, the elevator scene from The Shining. What fuck happened? <laughs> Did he, did he, like, nick his finger on the rim? What, like, what the fuck happened? That's what I want to talk about. I think that he did a WWE job to cause a break, to let the Kings reset, to kind of get themselves back squared away, like... Well said. Yeah. yeah. That, that is diabolical, though, if that, if that was the case. Because, like... On Twitter, everyone knows it was a fucking red wedding right there. They how long were they? <laughs> did they break to wipe all of his fucking blood off the court? It felt like well, it's just hilarious. They ran out with a little towel, and it's like yeah. squirt, 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 it's squirt. I guess like, but it was like the whole court. <laughs> but it was literally from one side to the other, and it was like, oh wait, here's another one, here's another one, and these guys are like scrubbing, like. I, it, it seriously reminded me of the time when I, I was like bit by a dog on the tip of my finger and they kind of like took just it was just like a nick and there was blood all behind me on the wall when they nicked it and it like it squirted behind me on the wall all on my sister in front of me and I, I was like in the eighth grade and everyone was freaking out. <laughs> And it was what the, my poor dog. It wasn't even his fault. His finger got stuck on the tip of, or his tooth got stuck on the tip of my finger. And now I have like no nerves there. I can't feel. <laughs> and it was so tiny and blood everywhere. And that's just all it reminded me of when I was watching that tonight. Yeah, I mean, when you think, even when you get like the, I don't know being an office worker when you get like the weird paper cuts and stuff when it's just like how does it bleed <laughs> like it's it seems like it's continuous so he just had to happen to have that as he's like running across just dripping it everywhere but it was a win-win round because it didn't stop him but it was also a good stoppage of time to reset and really it was kind of after that couple of minutes after that is when they went on their run exactly and, and i was like all right let's let's fucking carry this shit and like you know make it a reoccurring thing let's let's see how much he can bleed i actually forgot that happened <laughs> until he froze up lying at me <laughs> It was the most random shit. But see, that's where I'm laughing because I saw your tweet and I thought you just meant like it was a brutal murder. Like we were getting killed in the first quarter. And I was like, well, it is kind of. And then now that I know that you actually meant that. Yeah. Now I'm laughing. Wow. They can't breathe. That's an excellent call up. Jill, anything else? Just that the scary thing is I found out my ancestor in real life was the one that actually planned that in real life. And what the fuck, in Scotland. How have gone all this long knowing you? And yeah. wait, I tweeted wait, that like years ago. I tweeted that years ago. Yeah. Like, you're not going to remember. Yeah. I don't remember what happened like two minutes ago. I know. Okay. I know. Wait, yeah. no, you have to explain this now. 
You can't. Yeah, the real the real life like story of it wasn't called the Red Wedding like in real life, but it was the what that scene is based on, like my asshole down the line wherever in Scotland kidnapped two kids and literally um in their town as a power play and white people did that whole thing yeah it makes sense people did crazy stuff back then it was like you know back then you're fighting over land and all these kinds of things and yeah i was like oh great (laughs) but yeah well now we know something full circle jill full circle jesus jill do you have anything else that we need to cover any final thoughts before we call this one an episode I was getting sidetracked somewhere. Um, no, just come out tomorrow when, please. Like, we don't need two Charlotte losses on our backs. And I'd like to see Twitter not be a cesspool of a... <laughs> like it was tonight at the beginning where we were all like, oh my God, um, can we just have a, a solid outing from start to finish tomorrow um, and keep the vibes going on the rest of the road trip? Is what I ask. Wait, but what is what is Twitter or King's Twitter without, you know, fans ripping their hair out? Do we even know a King's Twitter like that? No. It, that's what makes us anxious fucking fans. That's why I think tonight was the perfect game, because we got all of that. We got the full experience in the first quarter. One (laughs) meltdown, tear it all down, trade everyone. This is embarrassment. Fire everybody. We're tanking again. And then second quarter's like, all right, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) The king's experience. (laughs) We all need to be in therapy. I'm pretty sure if we're, if any of us are not in therapy, uh, like uh, I, I don't know what to like say. It's it, it's been fucking years. People, oh. yeah, I need more liquor. This is what this team does to me. Someone, you know, DM me and give me their liver or part of their liver. You know how it goes. So I think that's as good a note to wrap this up on as any. So. Once again, this has been Living the Beam, a King's Herald podcast. You can check us all out at kingsherald.com. We're also on Twitter. Uh, Jill, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Jilladge. And that's about it right now. (laughs) TJ, what about you? Do we want to try to spell your Twitter handle tonight? I fucking hate you, for one. Um, Yeah, you can find me at Tailored Siren. Or at your mom's house or Frank's mom. <laughs> and of course, check us all out at the Kings Herald at Kingsherald.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Kingsherald. And as always, you know, appreciate the support. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.